0: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Back on the College Football Survivor Show, could BYU beat Bama? Shahan, I'm throwing off the whole show. I just want to talk about that. Could BYU beat Alabama? Right, we got to figure out, does Kentucky belong in? Who are we kicking out? Can we throw out the whole... Gist of the show, we'll rank our playoff contenders later. Can we just start there? Could BYU beat Alabama? I feel like it is the crux of where college football is right now in a single question. Am I offending you by throwing off the the run of the show by doing this first?
1: No, not at all. I, I think it's a really interesting question because... You know, one of the questions that I think we're going to get into as the season goes along is what Bama are we getting this year? Are, are we getting a Bama that is physical? Are we getting a Bama that has great offensive line play? Are we getting a Bama that's really going to get after the quarterback? Because I'll tell you what, we sure didn't see that stuff when they played at the University of Texas on, on uh, Saturday. And if that's not the case, I mean... It, what? Okay, I don't want to get crazy here. I, what I was going to say is, at this moment, but with what we saw on Saturday, just in a vacuum, just that one Saturday, what did Alabama do better than BYU on Saturday?
0: Nothing. I, I don't know that I have an answer.
1: Right?
0: I don't think it's anything. Bryce Young improvised and made magic happen. Better Jaron Hall at BYU. There are moments when you watch him play quarterback and he's standing in the pocket. I'll tell you what, man, he stands in that pocket in that beautiful blue uniform with the white shoes and surveys. And you could snap a photo of that. And that is that's the cover of the quarterback book I would write if I would read that? That is that's, – that's the epitome of what you want – my gosh, the guy. Now, I'm not saying he's all substance. I mean all sizzle and no substance. He looks beautiful standing
1: there. And then he makes things happen. He can move. He can and, run. And by the way, I, I will mention he's a very, very nice guy, a very, very – I did get a chance to talk to him over the summer, and he is like – you know, there's kind of a stereotype that you have a BYU players, right? They're like old and mature and like they're married and have kids and stuff. And like all of that is true of Jaron Hall, just to be clear. But like he really does epitomize it. He is just a a really cool, interesting person.
0: And he'll rip a throw when he needs to rip a throw. Like I thought at times when you, you know, this, this great BYU went over Baylor – they probably should have won in regulation and everybody's watched it by now. You know, they had the problems with the field goals and then, but then he just ripped throws at times. But also it felt like there was a lot more there. That I think when we have this BYU Bama conversation, looking at week two and listen, we're not going to apologize for going by what happened on the field. And, and I know a lot of people are like overreaction. It's, listen, we only get 15 data points at most in a college football season and we're constantly evaluating. So every game really matters because we don't get that many. And it's the teams change so much from year to year. Yes, you can take them some, some things away from a previous season, but week two really mattered. I thought with BYU missing its two best receivers in Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney. Chase Roberts became a star. He was the only guy Jaron Hall could rely on. I thought there were moments when it felt like Jaron Hall could have done more if they let him do more. He did run at times. They also had some third down situations where they handed off like on third and seven. And I thought, why aren't you letting your guy do your thing? But it felt like they believed in their defense. They didn't believe in Baylor's ability to move the ball. And I thought that was a limited BYU that watching how good and real that win over Baylor was. I watched it and thought there's more there watching Bama struggle on offense. They had in the middle of that Texas game. They had six straight possessions that ended in punts. Bama ran for 161 yards against Texas. They had 81 yards on one run and 80 yards on their 23 other runs combined So other than Jace McClellan's gigantic touchdown, they averaged 3.5 yards per carry. Their receivers combined, their wide receivers had 13 catches for 109 yards. Jameer Gibbs, their running back, was their leading pass catcher in that game. When you watched Bama, that was full Bama. I don't know what else we're supposed to expect from Bama. They have these transfer skill guys. Bryce Young absolutely saves them again and again. He should have been sacked at the 44 on their final drive. Instead, he escapes and runs to the 17. It's 27 extra yards that sets up the game-winning field goal just because Bryce Young is amazing. So I thought, BYU-Bama on that Saturday, let's go. I'd think BYU Absolutely could've could have hung with Bama. But going forward, I expect more from BYU when their receivers get healthy and maybe they let Hall cook a little more. And I'm not sure why I would expect more from Alabama because what were they holding? What what were they holding back? And they barely beat a team in Texas that had to play its backup quarterback. It's not just about week two, Shahan. It's about how we project forward and maybe some issues with Bama that aren't magically going to be solved.
1: Right. And I think that, you know, with BYU, the big thing you have to remember is, like you said, heading forward, they're going to have three Chase Roberts, right? Like they're going to have multiple players who can attack down the field. Nakua is their best receiver by a pretty good margin. And he wasn't able to play in that game. They used him in the run game, too. Uh, Another thing to mention as well is that, you know, Baylor's got one of the best run defenses in the entire country. And they were not able to run the ball against Baylor's run defense. I don't think that's going to be the case against 98% of teams that they play. I think that they're going to be able to move it well. We saw this last year. Tyler Algier was held to the 15 carries for 33 yards against Baylor and otherwise rushed for like 200 yards per game. So like, you know, Alabama obviously has these amazing pass rushers and they have some big physical guys up in the middle, but I don't think that we can even count out the run game for BYU playing against Alabama. So you know, we we saw how much Jaron Hall, being a dual threat quarterback, really helped them. I, you know, it, it's just a lot of things, right? Like a lot of things, you feel like BYU did well and could potentially even do better, and uh, it, it was just a great performance. You know, I, I think obviously context for both these games, right? Alabama playing on the road, BYU playing at home, and and those crowds really helped to BYU. And so, you know, Baylor had one of their most uncharacteristically penalty-ridden games as well, just like Alabama did on the road. So, like, if Alabama went and played on the road against BYU last weekend, I mean, they definitely lose, right? Like, they definitely lose, I think, if they're playing in Provo last weekend. Now, this is not the final form of everybody. They have a chance to get better. You can't imagine that Alabama's going to have zero wide receivers. Like, I I just, somebody's going to step up at some point. But they don't have that guy now. And, uh, I mean, Jermaine Burton's losing himself a lot of money based off of how he played in that last game. Two catches for 10 yards, multiple drops in that game. He was supposed to be the guy who would come in and be an All-America contender right away. I I don't know what is going on with him. But uh, if, if they can't figure out this receiver position, then I don't think that they have legitimate title or maybe even playoff upside. They found some stuff late in that game against
0: Texas when they needed to middle of the field, Bryce Young was hitting some throws, but Jamison Williams for them last year kind of came out of nowhere, right? He had been a big time recruit when he went to Ohio state, Alabama had recruited him then was a top 100 national player transfers to Alabama and was really fast, but had not done much at Ohio state. And so for Jamison Williams to be a surefire first round pick and one of the best receivers in the country, he saved Alabama last year in a lot of ways. The like there's, there's absolutely no guarantee that Jermaine Burton and Ty Harrell, the two transfer receivers this year, are going to have that kind of impact. Brian Robinson last year as a as a longtime veteran in that backfield really emerged, right? If he hadn't had that unfortunate situation where he got carjacked and got shot um for the Washington Commanders, he probably would have been their opening day running back. Brian Robinson really came on. Jameer Gibbs was a good player at Georgia Tech. There's no guarantee he's going to be as good as Brian Robinson this year. He's not the game, same kind of big time physical monster running back that so many of the Bama running backs are. And then, listen, Quinn Ewers played very well for Texas before he got hurt. He put balls right on guys' hands. Xavier Worthy, I think, dropped one in the end zone, caught another deep ball that set up a score. But I think Jaron Hall would do something similar against Alabama. That, they had a late, Texas had a late drive again after Ewers got hurt. Everybody knows he's hurt. Hudson Cards in that game when Texas needs it wide open guy down the middle of the field on the last drive at Texas when they kick what is a go ahead field goal there. That's a Nick Saban defense giving up a guy wide open in the middle of the field and I gotta have a drive. I again give BYU all of its guys. I like BYU's chances. Now the weird thing and this is how this stuff works. BYU is going to Oregon this week. This is a huge game We don't know as we record the status of Romney and Nakua. We don't. They haven't said they'll be back. They're listed as starters on the depth chart that BYU put out, but they were listed as the starters on the depth chart last week and they didn't play. BYU is an underdog going to Oregon on the betting line right now as we record. Oregon gets blown out by Georgia in week one, and then comes back last week, Eastern Washington takes care of business, blows them off the field. You have not been particularly enthused about Oregon and Bo Nix as the quarterback. And listen, Georgia's going to do that to a lot of people. So we are in a spot now where Oregon had to get healthy week in week two. BYU went to the wire, went to double OT, gave everything they got and had a great win. BYU's got to get back up for this. In the preseason, when I said BYU was my fifth team for the playoff mix, one spot out, I had them 11 and one with this loss. Do I think B- we're talking about is BYU could BYU beat Bama? And we're saying we think they could. Now we're going to be like, oh, but they can't beat Oregon. What are we talking about, right? Oh, they could beat Bryce Young, but they can't beat Bo Nix. It makes me feel like a crazy person. But Baylor, Oregon, back to back. Who does that? What a schedule! It is going to be a challenge for them to get right back up for this game. I don't feel sorry for them. But I'm also on alert for a week from now, people be like, oh, Doug and Sean, they were talking about BYU, they couldn't even beat Oregon. It's a tough spot, and they're an underdog. They do have to go on the road here, but they're better than Oregon. It doesn't mean they're going to win on Saturday, but they're a better team than Oregon. But this is a weird spot.
1: Yeah, they have to go on the road. That's always a a little bit of a different scenario than having to to host a team at home. But the thing is, I I think the thing that stands out to me about that 49-3 game is – I think Georgia's going to suffocate teams quite a bit, right? Like I think that they're going to go and hold a lot of teams to three or 10 or whatever points. It's really the 49. <laughs> That's the biggest concern to me about Oregon. I don't know whether they're any good defensively, which is unbelievable. They obviously hired a defensive head coach, but they lost some key players to the draft. Obviously, most notably Kayvon Thibodeau. I don't think that they've clearly replaced them. Uh, they they lost a couple guys in the secondary to the draft and you look at the next week i mean they georgia only scored 33 on samford the next week right like and and obviously they're not going all out like they are against oregon trying to score on every single possession but i don't know that's that's a little bit of a warning sign to me uh you know that georgia was able to do whatever they wanted against oregon's defense and i think that you know when we're just talking about units i think that byu's offense is pretty significantly a better unit than george's offense right now now maybe i'm wrong maybe and maybe it's also just like a gap in physicality right where like george is just so good up front that like it makes up for stuff but i mean (laughs) stetson bennett threw for 368 yards against oregon and now you've got a legitimate first round quarterback in jaron hall who might have legitimate nfl wide receivers maybe two or three of them playing in the game who I, I mean, it's a letdown spot, of course, but when BYU came into the season, they knew that they had five games to make their case. Five games. Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame, Arkansas, and Stanford. And then, you know, you thought maybe Utah State would be a little bit of a better game than it's going to end up being, or maybe Boise State or maybe East Carolina. But those were the five games that you had circled. And especially, especially those three, right? The, the Baylor, Oregon, Notre Dame. That was kind of thought of as the, the top group heading into the season. Oregon and Notre Dame look eminently more beatable than they did heading into the year. So there's no reason for me in my mind to think that BYU is not going to be ready for this game or not going to get up for this game. They understand the opportunity that they have and they understand after last year and after two years ago when they went to 11-1 as well, or 9-1, or and one, I, I can't remember how many games they played uh, in the COVID year, but uh, they have to be perfect. That's what it takes. They have to be perfect. And I think they recognize that. And I think heading into the third year of being an elite national college football team, I I think they're ready for this moment. Listen,
0: they don't have Sauce Gardner, okay? They don't have Kobe Bryant, the way Cincinnati did on defense. Cincinnati's defense was a legit defense last season, stacked with NFL guys. But their skill guys are legit, okay? Chase Roberts, that's a freshman. It's a six-foot-four freshman who went eight for 122, right? Is that what it was? Eight for 122 against Baylor was absolutely – the only guy that Jaron Hall could rely on. He's their third best receiver. Nick Saban, if Nick Saban could get Chase Roberts to transfer in the middle of the year, he'd be in Tuscaloosa tomorrow. When BYU gets those three guys back, that's where it's him. Listen, Cincinnati last year, Alec Pierce, their number one receiver, real guy, got drafted to the NFL. Jerome Ford was the Alabama transfer, their running back, real guy, got drafted to the NFL. Desmond Ritter, clearly a real guy, got drafted to the NFL, might be the starter in Atlanta by the end of the year. I loved Desmond Ritter last year. I loved Desmond Ritter as a draft prospect. I might love Jaron Hall more. I think Jaron Hall might be better than Desmond Ritter. And definitely those three receivers and then veterans, veterans, veterans in the trenches and some guys, they absolutely had defenders who made some plays in space, making tackles one on one that needed to be made against Baylor. Now, listen, Baylor's skill, guys, not there, right? The one guy, squirrel. Squirrel's little. Squirrel tried to do a little bit, but again, that's not as much as much as we have questions about Alabama's skill guys. If, if BYU is trying to t- tackle Jameer Gibbs and Jacory Brooks and Jace McClellan, it's a different situation. We understand that, but they handled the Baylor guys in space. They they are the most veteran team in college football, and at quarterback and receiver, and I think like running backs, good enough. Right. Again, I thought the play calling was a little conservative at times for BYU. And if they're playing Bama, they would know we have to go for it a little bit here. They without their two best receivers in a defensive game against Baylor, I think they didn't want to make mistakes. They didn't want to give up, you know, a defensive score, a game killing turnover, that kind of thing. So they played it a little close to the vest. But BYU has the real pieces. And Bryce Young is absolutely positively spectacular. And Bama against a what Texas defense? Good but not great. Is that fair to say? Six straight possessions in the middle of the game that ended in punts. 23 combined yards in six possessions in the middle of the game. Bama opens with a field goal drive. And then their second possession is one eighty-one yard run. The next six possessions, 23 total yards end in punts. That is unbelievable in effect ineffectiveness Shahan against a a fine Texas team a fine but there's 15 teams in the country that Bama could have played that would have given them even more defensive problems and again I think I think a chunk of those problems are going to stick with them
1: yeah I I think it's definitely going to be a big question And look, I mean, we talked about Will Anderson as the best player in college football coming into the season. And through the first two games, he has been a total non-factor, right? This can't be the case. We can talk all we want about the receivers who are all new guys. We can talk about the offensive linemen who are new guys. But through two games, Will Anderson has a total of five tackles. Three of them are for loss. One of them is a sack, but they weren't really big plays right? Down the stretch. And so if Alabama is going to be great, Will Anderson needs to play his best football. Dallas Turner needs to be a big factor. You know, Jordan battle at safety, right? I mean, Quinn Ewers was attacking them down the field. That's his space, right? And and this is guys, the first team, all American, you know, uh, Dallas Turner at this point, only uh, six total tackles, zero tackles for loss. That's not going to be good enough. You know, it's really every single unit on Alabama right now is against Texas struggles. And, I don't know.
0: Now, the thing is this. The thing is this. And if there are Alabama listeners getting mad, when you have a shot to take Bama out and you don't, that is dangerous. Auburn should have beaten Alabama in the last game of the regular season last year. They didn't. What happened? Alabama went out the next week and beat the unbeatable number one team in the country in Georgia. So Texas had them. Texas missed a 20-yard field goal. Texas dropped a pass in the end zone. Texas lost its starting quarterback in the first half and had to play a backup who was limping as he ran in the middle of the game. Texas had him and let him off the hook. Texas had Bryce Young for a sack at the 44-yard line with 30 seconds left of the game. He escapes and runs to the 17. So now Saban's got all of this. Saban's got all this film. Saban's got all... he. The good stuff in the media, he calls it rat poison. But whatever the, this is, these are rat snacks. These are delicious. These are delicious morsels of cheese that he can now, now not, who would it be? He's poisoning the player. No, I don't know. But like he loves it because now <laughs> guys like us are doubting Bama. People are questioning Bama. Before, Bama was like, oh, Bama's Bama. They have the the best defensive player and the best offensive player in the country. And they still do, probably. They just have a lot of holes everywhere else. But, man, it is remarkable, Shahan. When you don't get them, they come back stronger than ever. So now who's going to get them? Well, I don't know who's going to jump up and get them. But when we talk about the best teams in the country – I don't think Bama is head and shoulders above anymore. I think Bama's in a group. And at the end, when we get to the second half of this podcast, as we always do, we're going to rank all the contenders. I have tears, but I don't see a ton of difference between teams like BYU and Alabama right now, which in the end is why we started with this conversation. That's based on, and listen, BYU almost lost at home, right? Baylor had him. And Blake Shapin wasn't ready for the moment, and the running back in overtime could have cut outside, and he didn't. Right, all these different things. The BYU kicker also killed him, and they they lived to tell another story. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, like all that's true. This was not like a dominant destroy Baylor kind of game, but they found a way to win without their two best receivers. And going for my view of Bama has changed. And my view of BYU has been reinforced because it didn't have to change because I already thought they were really good. Is that is that a fair way to say this?
1: Definitely. And, and I think one thing, too, is that let's say that Alabama is certainly better than uh, than what we saw against Texas, but isn't great, right? Like isn't elite sort of level. You know, well, I'm kind of running into this issue with, uh, with the team that I'm sure we're going to talk about later, Texas A&M. Because the thing is, if you are a very good team, then all of a sudden playing a bunch of teams that are in the, the you know, 15 to 25 range isn't that big a deal. You know, Georgia doesn't have to worry about playing in the SEC East because they're way better than everybody. So there's not really like a team that should come up and get them. But it's different. If you are a pretty good team and you have to play multiple top 10 to 25 teams, you're probably going to get got you're probably going to get got if you are not good enough to stand above. And I, I wonder whether Alabama, who is a team that I expected to supersede this level, based on a combination of players who played great last year, players who have played well in college football before, and a track record of development, I, I kind of just assumed that that was going to work itself out after two weeks. I, I don't think you can assume that. And by the way, when we do our rankings I am going to take that into account.
0: I'm going to take it into account as well. Perhaps too much. Perhaps too much. But Lane Kiffin, Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, looking at that. <laughs> Sorry,
1: who was that third guy? I uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Brian Kelly, Nick Saban's
0: scared now. Brian Kelly and Jimbo Fisher are licking their chops.
1: Uh, Larry Coker. Sorry, did you say what? What did you? Uh... <laughs>
0: It's, it, it is. It's like, who's going to get them? But um, but they they are certainly more vulnerable. People thought they were a three touchdown favorite going to Texas and people thought they might blow them off the field. And that wasn't it at all. Like who looked in the end? Those were two very close games. One was a game winning field goal at the end that Alabama kicked. The other one to double OT, BYU and Baylor. But when you watch the games, it felt like Texas on that Saturday was better than Alabama and it felt like BYU was better than Baylor right now. So the results matter, but it's not only the results. And I think that's feeding into a little bit of what we're talking about here.
1: Yeah. And I think that you, you said it. I I mean, I put out uh, kind of my ranking of 25 on Sunday. And one of the things was that I still had Utah ahead of Kentucky. And they're like, well, you have a common opponent, you know, you played Florida and it's like, we only get, like you said, twelve of these things in the regular season. Thirteen if you play a conference championship game. Like the point isn't that I want you to, uh, to you know, run up the score. That doesn't do anything for me. That doesn't matter. But it's the way that the game happens, right? It's the context of the game. In the Kentucky versus Florida game, the game was extremely close, and then Kentucky got uh, an interception that they turned into a touchdown. In the Utah Florida game, Utah was driving down the field with a chance to win the game, and they threw an interception. So like. I don't think those results were so different from each other that like Kentucky has to be a tier above Utah. You know, I mean, it's and plus, you know, I think that there's also context with it being the opener versus game, two. I think that that matters. So you have to take into account all of these factors whenever you weigh these teams. And uh, and so for me, you know, I, I think that even though Alabama won the game, it matters to me how they did it, and it matters to me that they probably should have lost the game. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that a loss is uh, it should eliminate them because obviously, you know, if you lose two games, uh, you're probably out of the playoff race. I'm not gonna go that far, you know. But that's really the only thing that I would hold off on. Everything else, I think you judge them as if they lost the game.
0: And I do think it's a little bit different here, and you guys will figure this out when we do our rankings. When I was an AP voter, I very much was was based on earned. Deserved? What did you do on the field to earn something? We're trying to figure out who has a chance to make the playoff, right? So I think that that is a little bit of a different context for us here. That's all we're talking about. So when we come back, we're going to kick somebody out of that discussion because they don't deserve to be in it anymore. And we're going to decide if we should add somebody to our playoff mix. That's normally how we start the show, but we had to dive in on the Cougars and the Crimson Tide. We'll be back. Somebody's out. Will somebody be in next on the College Football Survivor Show? Don't miss the College Football Survivor Show bonus episode this week. Available only on Apple Podcasts. Texas A&M was banging a lot of drums that year that they should have been in the playoff. Man, it looks like a blip. So 2020, they had a good record in a COVID year and didn't get in. And they they could say, hey, we got you know, we were wrong here. 2021, their starting quarterback gets hurt right away. And it's like, oh, well, we had to play our backup and they beat Alabama, but they otherwise have a disappointing year. And now there's
1: like, there's no excuses. And I know there's, they have a good freshman class and but like, Sean, how do they lose this game? If you are concerned because you scheduled Appalachian State you're not a title contender, man. Like you're not a real serious football team. That's a conversation that Missouri has to have with itself, right? Like that's a conversation that Boston College needs to have. Should we schedule Appalachian State? You're supposed to be the number six team in the country. You shouldn't be thinking, man, should we schedule Appalachian State? Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. All right, Shahan, this is
0: with the help of our Twitter followers at CFB. Survivor show. Follow us on Twitter. We put out these polls every week and then people vote. There are three votes, your vote, my vote, and the Twitter poll about who should join and who should leave. We started this week with 11 teams in our playoff mix. Last week, we kicked out North Carolina State and we added Oklahoma. So we stayed at 11. This week, we're asking who should we kick out? And two of our teams lost. And again, this is just the reality of Life as a playoff contender, if you lose, it makes it hard to stick around. Like, I I know there's context to that, but that's life in the big city. So we had these three teams who should be kicked out that we sent out to the Twitter followers. Texas A&M after losing to Appalachian State. Baylor after losing to BYU. And we know it wasn't double overtime and we know it was to another playoff contender, but you still lost. And we also threw in Alabama because they almost lost to Texas. Clear vote there, Shahan. Eighty-five percent of the Twitter followers say kick out Texas A&M. Nine point three percent say Baylor, and a shout out to the five point seven percent who actually were ready to kick Alabama out of this playoff discussion. How did you look at this? Do you think who do you think should leave of those three?
1: It's a no-brainer to me. It has to be Texas A&M because you look at one, obviously the the quality of the loss is unbelievably bad, right? Baylor went on the road and lost in double overtime to a top 10 team uh, in, in our eyes, right? And uh, Texas A&M lost to an Appalachian State team that's very good. Like, I, I don't want to underestimate what Appalachian State is. They are a top 30 to 35 team in the country, which is outstanding. Like, it's a good team. It's not a... but this is the kind of game that you're not supposed to even think about if you're a playoff contender, right? Like losing to a very good Sunbelt team is not what you're supposed to do. And uh, we didn't have Notre Dame in the field at the beginning of the year because we didn't necessarily buy into it. And certainly them losing to a Sunbelt team only validates what we thought. Well, now if you're Texas A&M, to make the playoff, because pathway is very important to me when considering a playoff contender. If you're Texas A&M, you have to win every single one of the rest of your games, starting with Miami this week, which does not sound like fun at all. By the way, Texas A&M, a five and a half point favorite in that game, because apparently, I, I, I don't know, man. Just take the free money. Like, what is going on? Uh, and then you have to go play the entire SEC, who, by the way, like, again, Appalachian State's a very good top 35 caliber team that also probably would finish like second to last in the SEC West and you have to play all those teams and some of them are going to be on the road. You're not going to get to play all these teams at home like you did Appalachian State when you lost. And also there's like uh, there's like a a script now in place for teams to follow of how to beat you just make you play offense aggressively and you're going to not do well and then they can hang on to the ball. So to me, it's obvious. I, I think Tex A&M has to be out. Baylor, I think, very much still has a path to the playoff, even though it is difficult. Um, obviously, Alabama still has a path to the playoff at 2-0. and uh, So for me, it, it has to be Tex A&M.
0: I need to say something here. Okay. And I need to say goodbye to the A-Chain. I love him. <laughs> I love Devin A-Chain. I think he's great. I think he's exciting. I think he's dynamic. I give him the ball more. We are never going to talk about him again on this show because we are never going to talk about Texas A&M the rest of the year because Texas A&M is staring down the barrel of two and four. They got Miami. Then they got Arkansas. Then they got somebody else. Then they got Bama. And I don't think they're beating anybody good. So this is it. They're out. You vote them out. I vote them out. The Twitter people vote them out. And they are never coming back. We'll see you in 2023-2023. Maybe, maybe when Connor Wegman wins the job at quarterback and a couple of these great freshmen mature. And they start number six, of course. Yeah, right. Exactly. But like (laughs) we're not we had some good offseason conversation about Texas A&M. We tried to find the third best team in the SEC. We guessed it was them. Seems like we might have guessed wrong. Maybe there is no third best team in the SEC, but they're out. And I don't I can't imagine Them getting back in, because I think two and four is absolutely on the table.
1: Yeah, uh, by the way, the team that they play that you didn't mention, they go on the road to Mississippi State, who's a borderline top 25 team. So that also might be a loss. They might be staring down one in five. uh, And then they go to South Carolina, who they should beat. But like, what if they don't? What if they don't? Uh, They're they're not going to lose all those games, but they I mean, they could they could pull a quote-unquote upset against one of the ranked teams and still go two and four, right? Like, they still could go two and four. So this is this is kind of unbelievable stuff. The other thing is that this was kind of my concern with A-Chain. With, with I felt like he is just built so much to be a, a tremendous complementary back, mm. right? Like, to be an outstanding, like, change of pace or, like, if you've got a great rushing scheme, like, you know, one cut and go upfield sort of guy, it's just a lot to ask of him based on his skill set and based on his build to basically have to like all purpose carry an offense. It's just a lot to ask. Like, I, I think that, I think there are places he could do it, right? Like, I, I think that, um, you know, teams that uh, like Michigan, for example, Michigan, I think, you know, they open up big creases and it's kind of the cut and go type system. I think that would make sense. But like the sort of like inside zone stuff that Texas A&M is doing with bad offensive linemen and bad quarterback play, like it it was just always a lot. Because I think that if Isaiah Spiller was still here, who was a much more physically tough sort of big running back, I think that maybe he's doing a little better. But h has got 108 yards on 3.9 yards per carry through two games, so that's not quite gonna do it.
0: Okay, goodbye Texas A&M. We'll see ya. Maybe by the team by the time we talk about Texas A and M again, maybe Jimbo's not even the coach anymore. I don't know. Maybe it'll be twenty twenty six.
1: You think that they're gonna buy out eighty million? If
0: they're the most, they might be the most expensive two and ten team in history by the end of this season with their NIL stuff and the schedule we just laid out. So congratulations
1: good luck. to uh, to Nebraska for finally <laughs> avoiding that title. Yeah,
0: for are you mentioned? Do you think Scott Frost could be a candidate if they fire Jimbo? <laughs>
1: Well, they, they say that maybe he'll consider hiring a real offensive coordinator. Scott Frost, come on down to College Station.
0: Maybe Tom Herman. Maybe Tom Herman comes down to College Station. Jimbo goes there. Former Texas coach. All right. So let's talk about who we could add. These were the three teams that I gave the Twitter followers as options. And basically, I did these three because I think they were the three highest ranked teams in the AP poll that aren't in our consideration. Again, it's a guide. We're doing a different thing than the AP poll. This is better frankly. I mean, our ranking is better. It just is. No offense to the AP poll, but ours is better. Kentucky, off the win over Florida after Florida had beaten Utah. Michigan State, two easy wins to open the year, and Oklahoma State. Those were the three I gave. I will say that would be Kentucky as the third SEC team in our group, Michigan State as the third Big Ten team in our group, or Oklahoma State as the third Big 12 team in our group. So the other option was none of these three. We talked about this briefly on the Apple Podcast Show, and you guys, if you like this one, for $2.99 a month, you can get four bonus episodes. If you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, you just pay on there with your thumb. $2.99, it's like 75 cents an episode. You get an extra one each week. So Shahan and I did our biggest surprises and our biggest disappointments of the college football season so far. And on there, we talked a little bit about Kansas State. The three options that I gave Shahan, of all the teams that weren't in our mix, did I pick the three right teams? Did I leave somebody out? Should I put Kansas State in there? Is there somebody else I should have put in there that I overlooked?
1: So I think we could have strongly considered Miami. Maybe we're a week away, right? Like they're they're about to play Texas A&M, and again, we don't think that Texas A&M is great. But if Miami goes on the road and beats Texas A&M, I think that they probably are in next week. Uh, you know, I I think that Kansas State is tough, right? Because to me, I I think that they're a real strong Big Twelve contender, but I just don't know that they have the depth to go twelve and one. That's just a lot to ask. But they're a, a really high quality team, so maybe just at some point they do have to enter that conversation uh but you know i I don't have a huge issue with who is listed Uh, again i will reiterate it's important to remember through this process it's about competing for the playoff right it's not just necessarily the best team it's not necessarily uh anything like that it's it's taking into consideration path. It's taking into consideration schedule, all this sort of stuff. So I I think that with that in mind, I think that those are probably the three right teams to consider. And it really is about upside,
0: right? This is not the, can you have a really good nine and three season show? That's that's not what we're doing here. There's a lot of good, a lot of teams that can. They can have a great 10-2 season. Awesome for them, but never really are in the playoff mix, right? Because it's like, well, they never were going to beat the two better teams in their conference. So the interesting thing about Miami is we only have one ACC team in right now in Clemson, and that's a fairly vulnerable team, and we kicked out NC State. So Miami would only be the second ACC team. They were fine against Southern Miss last week. They didn't cover. They were, they were okay. They weren't
1: dominant. And, and they, they were bad in the first half. I think it was seven to three at the half. And by the way, they were booing their offense uh, in the first half. Josh
0: Gaddis, Broyles reward winner, new offensive coordinator <laughs> offense. <laughs>
1: Yeah, people, uh, people got my mentions and were like, why don't you have Miami hired in your rankings? And I'm like, I heard the booze, dude. Like, I heard them. You can't hide from me. I actually watch these games, you know. So I did hold off based
0: on those two things. Not great against Southern Miss and Texas A&M is coming. And again, like they, this was supposed to be the game of the week. Game day bailed on this game after Texas A&M lost. So Miami, Texas A&M is like, what is beating Texas A&M mean anymore? I don't know. They're famous, but it is a chance for Tyler Van Dyke and as as the quarterback and Mario Cristobal as the new head coach there to make a statement, right? More than they have so far. And so I think we will have potentially a very uh, deep Miami discussion a week from now if Miami beats Texas A&M. For now, these three choices, Kentucky, Michigan State, Oklahoma State. Kentucky got the highest percent of the teams. They got 23.3% from the Twitter people. Oklahoma State, 12.2. Michigan State, 7.3. None of those three, that as an option, got 57% of the vote, Shahan. And I will tell you that is where I am. I would put none of these three in, but I could be swayed. Where are you?
1: Yeah, I, I think that for me, I wish that Oklahoma State had been more dominant against Arizona State because I don't think Arizona State's any good. It was an opportunity in my mind for them to, to kind of fight back and have a chance. But this game was 20 to 17 in the fourth quarter, right? Like and the game was never really in doubt, but that's not the kind of performance that you should have your playoff contender. And when I look at those other two teams, I, I just don't see the path right? Kentucky's going to have to beat Georgia to probably get into the field. And I I just don't know if they can do that. I I think that Kentucky out of this group is probably, well, if we want to talk deserving, they're clearly the most deserving after going on the road and beating Florida. But it's just a lot to ask for them to get into that playoff conversation. Like you said, this feels like a classic, like really nice 10 and two team, like a really special, really fun, great season, 10 and two team. And Maybe they have a chance to be better than that if uh, if that passing offense continues to grow, right? There, there was a lot of excitement about Will Levis. But so far, I, I mean, Levis was 13 of 24 for 202 yards against Florida, and that's not that exciting to me. They They haven't moved the ball that well, 272 total yards. Like, they have to be, like, actually good in my mind to to get into this group if, if they're gonna compete with Georgia. And right now they're very like we manage games well and we play great defense. And that that doesn't feel like it. Michigan State again, I, I just think that the path is too difficult. Uh maybe if they beat Washington this week. You like Washington. You're interested in Washington. I, I do like Washington. I, I'm intrigued, right? And and I think that um you know we're not considering Washington right now, but I do think that when you look at what they've done through the first two weeks, not not great teams, right? Uh, Kent State they scored forty five points. That's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the offense be great because I feel like the defense they have a lot of talent there. And uh, but you know Michael Penix has been awesome through the first couple of weeks. He's looked like like early Indiana Michael Penix again. Uh, now that he's reunited with Kalen DeBoer, if they look really good against Michigan States, like I'll I, I'm intrigued, right? I, I think that this might be a really big, really good game. Um, but Michigan State, I think, has to beat one of the good teams before I can really feel like they deserve to be in the mix.
0: Because it's one of these things, it's like, do we want to be talking about Kentucky and Michigan State and Oklahoma State right now and ranking them against Georgia and Ohio State and USC? Like, it, it would feel silly to me. So I think we're in agreement with the Twitter followers. Nobody's getting in this week. We're going to go from 11 contenders down to 10 for this week, and then beat somebody. Michigan State plays Ohio State in week six, but this Michigan State-Washington game, I think it's a really good point by you. It is one of the better games this week, and we will keep an eye on that. And if somebody looks real, we'll consider it. Miami, I think, will be on the docket to get in next week if they beat Texas A&M. So we're just going to hold off, because when I think about my rankings, it is a, it's a pretty exclusive group of, like, who could possibly make the playoff right it it doesn't feel like we'll go as high as 12 it feels like closer to 7 or 8 right now that if we said who are the four going to be i th- i think i would say i'm i'm pretty sure it's from this group of seven so there's no reason to enlarge that at the moment so we're going to wait we are going to come back and rank those teams it's only 10 so that'll save us like 43 seconds where we don't have to say who we would have had 11th because Texas A&M is out. Nobody's in. It's time to rank them on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Doug and Shahan back. Last week, we did this in reverse order. This week, I want to start at the top, and I want to start with number one because we have to make sure we have time to talk about number one. I am proud of my ranking last week because we disagreed on number 11 and we disagreed on number one. And I think I was right on both of them. I had Texas A&M 11 last week. They stunk. And I had Georgia number one. I think Georgia right now is in a tier by itself at number one. Scored on all six first half possessions against Samford. I think it was three touchdowns, three field goals. Shut them out. Did whatever they wanted. Samford like punted or turned it over on downs, had one fumble like on every possession. Of course, that's going to be a blow. It was only 33 to nothing. They did get held to a couple of field goals early, but it's both sides of the ball taking care of business, doing what you're supposed to do. The defense looks like the defense. Stetson Bennett is doing his thing. They played their tough game in week one. We're going to get a good read. I mean, it's one of these things. If Oregon beats BYU and it's like, we saw what Georgia did to Oregon and then Oregon beat BYU. Holy moly. Oregon, in the end, I think is going to be a better team than that 49-3 to looked like, which will go to how good Georgia is. But Georgia is one, and I have a gap after that. Who's your number one?
1: Yeah, it has to be Georgia. There, there's no question about it. It has to be Georgia. Uh, again, like you said, I want to figure out exactly how good Oregon is. I don't think that they're amazing, but they're they're a top 25-ish team. And, and obviously, Georgia did what they did to them. I mean, what Georgia did to Oregon is probably the most impressive thing that any power five team has done to any other power five team this season, regardless, right? Like it's more impressive than what somebody did to West Virginia or what somebody did to Washington. Like it, it does. This is the most impressive uh power five over power five, win of the season, probably regardless of what Georgia or what, regardless of what Oregon ends up being. So they have to be number one. Uh, You know, I think that you look at that group of three that we've talked about for most of the season as being the real contenders, Ohio state, looked a little shaky at times against Notre Dame and Notre Dame turns out that they might be awful and Alabama last week should have lost against Texas. So like they're the one who's held up their side of things and they deserve to be number one in a tier of their own. I agree. Okay.
0: I have in my next tier, I have six teams and this is, this is like to me, it's almost everybody else that I think could make the playoff And I don't have super strong feelings about the order of these teams. And I'm open to criticism. I'm open to being swayed, but I'm curious to see who you have second. And I I also admit that I am probably overreacting in the moment. And I acknowledge that. Who do you have to
1: right now? I have Ohio State, too.
0: I also have Ohio State, too.
1: Yeah, I I think that. Right now, I saw enough from different receivers. It was Arkansas State. I don't want to overreact, and, and there were moments where I was a little I keep my eye on things a little. But you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. another great game. I, I think that he needs to be that third guy in big games. Right? We've seen Nick Buka kind of be that guy. Obviously, Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be a big time player for them. I think Marvin Harrison Jr. has to be a clear third receiver for Ohio State to go far. Um, we've seen it in moments, right? He had three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl. He had seven catches, 184 yards, three touchdowns against Arkansas State. So like that helped assuage some of my fears of, of their receiver room, but I, I will be keeping an eye on it going forward. Even though I think Wisconsin is not very good, I'm going to be keeping an eye on how specifically Marvin Harrison Jr. Does against Wisconsin, uh, in a couple weeks, but they did enough. I, I think to make me feel like, okay, this is still pretty much the team that we expected. Ohio State
0: home against Toledo in primetime, seven o'clock start on Saturday. Toledo's probably the best team in the MAC. So, you know. It's a Mac team. A Mac team hasn't like a team. Don't make me get into my Mac rankings. So, ranking. so where do you have you do Toledo in your, in your 1 through 131 out of curiosity? They're probably like in the 60s, right? Where do you have them? <laughs> Let me check on I, that. I love the 1 through 131. This is what Shahan does. Every week he ranks every team in the country. The the 131 teams in major college football, he ranks them 1 through 131. So you had to think at least – Toledo put up a lot of points last week, right? They're 2-0. and o. They have a little bit of an offense. Where do you have
1: them? I'm going to guess 68. 68? Oh, I have them. I have them right now at nine. OK, that feels low. That feels a little low. Yeah, yeah, that, that does feel a little low. I will. I will give you that. That does feel a little low. I probably, you know, offhand would probably have them closer to like high 70s. That's probably about right. So we think they might beat Ohio State. No, we're just kidding. But I do think it is one of these things
0: when, when you think about the Notre Dame loss, right? Notre Dame in week one, Wisconsin in week four, both those teams have now lost. There's Ohio State fans already thinking about playoff path. And if they do, does Ohio State have to go 13-0 to make the playoff now because their schedule is not going to be as respected? But I'm still curious about the defense, the Jim Knowles defense. Notre Dame really just tried to slow it down and limit possessions, and they were as good as Michael Mayer is. Penn State, or excuse me, Ohio State did a great job on Michael Mayer, one of the best tight ends in the country in week one. Not a ton of other weapons. Arkansas State moved the ball at times. They had a real, like a 5-5 receiver, Champ Fleming, who was an Oregon State transfer, who gave him a little bit of trouble. Right? James Blackman, the Florida State, former Florida State quarterback, the Arkansas State quarterback. Arkansas State moved the ball a little bit. Now, they got held to field goals every time, but that four scoring drives for Arkansas State, it's like I – The the defense is better. I don't know that we know for sure how good the Ohio State defense is. And then Jackson Smith and Jigma didn't play, and we don't know if he's going to play against Toledo. So that affects everything they do. But Marvin Harrison Jr., as you said, had a huge game. Trayvon Henderson had two rushing touchdowns. They're still I think they're still working it out. They're working through some things on offense where it's not a hundred percent bing, bang, boom, precision, which is CJ Stroud can get into a rhythm sometimes where it looks like, well, I don't know how they're ever, how he's ever going to throw an incompletion. That's not where they are right now, but they're working through it. So it wasn't, they didn't cover against Arkansas state. It wasn't perfect, but as, you know, as close of a game as they played against Notre Dame, they didn't have to kick a game winning field goal the way Alabama did against Texas. Right. So, I mean, I think, I think, so you could make a case for somebody else at 2 because i don't think anybody has a tremendous case to be done number 2 but i did think in the end ohio state's case is is pretty clearly the strongest but so if we agree we agree
1: yeah yeah and and just to just to round that out you know what, what i'm concerned about ohio state about and what i'm criticizing ohio state about and I I think it's deserved all of the things that I'm criticizing them about are like title level criticisms, right? Are like winning the national title level criticisms. And, you know, and that's going to be true of Georgia right now. With every other team at this moment, I'm making like, are you going to be good enough to compete for the playoff criticisms? Right? Like that's the kind of criticism that I'm making of everybody else right this second. So the fact that I can uh you, you know kind of micromanage and and really delve into you know being nitpicky with ohio state means that I still see them as being a team that I think can win it all. Who do you have third? This is uh this is where things get wacky. I've got BYU third.
0: I love it. God, my heart is warmed. I have BYU fourth, but man, I was tempted to put them third. We just get <laughs> we just did a lot on BYU. The bottom line is yeah. we think their quarterbacks really good. We think Kalani talkie their coach is good. We think they're going to get healthier at receiver. We think everything, offensive line, defensive line, all these veterans is real. And they just have to get back up for Oregon. But again, there's some holes in everybody here. So we're not saying BYU doesn't have holes. But this is real. You have them third. I have them fourth. We might be the only people in the country to have them this high. But beyond the, the how real it is, the path is there. The path is there because they have the schedule and they have the opportunity to go 12-0 and 0 and just be there. And I was going to say even like waiting. We might get to a point where it's like, oh, if they're undefeated, they're in. They don't even need any help. Right, like, oh, 12-0 BYU with wins over Baylor, Oregon, Arkansas, Notre Dame. Like, of course they're in. So I love this. I backed off slightly, but I love that you have them third.
1: Who do you have third then?
0: Michigan. And I said a week ago, I I was going to hold off on my evaluation of Michigan until the quarterback situation got settled. We talked about it more on the Apple show this week. The quarterback situation settled. J.J. McCarthy is the starter. He's more dynamic than Cade McNamara. I think Jim Harbaugh has done an excellent job of managing this. Their schedule is super easy. They get UConn this week, then they host Maryland on September 24th. That's a pretty good Maryland offense. We'll see if that turns into a shootout a little bit. But Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards at running back, Roman Wilson, Ronnie Bell, Cornelius Johnson, a better group of receivers than a year ago. Some guys emerging, I think, defensively. It feels like they two games in against weak opponents. It doesn't feel the loss of both coordinators. It doesn't feel like it's blown a hole in the program. And now that the quarterback is settled and they went with the guy with more upside, like I'm in on Michigan. I'm here for it now acknowledging they haven't played anybody. So three might be high based on the fact they haven't played anybody, but I think there's a lot of good pieces in place for Michigan right now. Where did you have Michigan?
1: I have them for, uh, you know, everything that you said is right. I think that fundamentally what the difference between BYU and Michigan uh, in my rankings is, is Michigan has not done a single thing this season that's relevant to me at all, like because they haven't played a game or done anything or like there's just nothing there. Right. Like you're basically kind of judging them on no data in, in my mind. And so, um, you know, so for me, I, I have BYU with a positive thing to kind of uh, put them over Michigan with no negative things whatsoever. Now, I- I'm glad that they've kind of came out and played really well and and left no doubt and, and not just beaten teams, but like destroyed them right from the start you know, that that's what you're supposed to do. So they've done their job. They've done nothing more than their job. Uh, and, and whereas I feel like BYU has done more than just do their job at this point. I agree. I
0: probably pulled my punches on BYU a little bit. If I did it five seconds from now, I might not be BYU third.
1: The, the funny thing is, uh, j- just to look at that schedule again. So Penn State, you know, they look fine right now. I, you know, we're we're kind of gonna kind of have to wait and see whether they're any good. Michigan State, you know, we don't know anything about them. We'll know something this week. Like both those teams might not be that special. And like if they're not that special, Michigan could legitimately get to eleven and zero like without having to do anything. Like they could legitimately get to the last game of the year without having to do anything of value. I mean, there are times when I mean most of the time
0: the Big Ten East is acknowledged as the second best division in college football. So if you're if you're sort of going, I don't know about Penn State, Michigan State, it's like, okay, but who they're both top 25 teams right now. They in the end might be both top 15 quality teams. So like I agree with what you're saying, but they don't have any tough crossovers and they're non-conference stunk. So that's that's the point here but also at some point beaten if they beat Michigan State and Penn State that has to count for something but
1: big picture I know what you're saying yeah I I mean my question is how much will it count for right like and and the the thing is right like I, I think that if if Michigan is just a basic playoff caliber team like just a basic one not not like a great one like if they're if they're in like the mold of like a team fighting for number four like they should be able to go through the schedule 11-0 without really breaking a sweat.
0: There are people who had both Michigan and Ohio State in the playoff before the season, and this is how. Two 11-0 teams get to that game. You know, the other conferences get a little rough. Clemson loses, USC loses. The Big 12 is, you know, they're beating each other up, and all of a sudden you get two Big Ten teams in the playoff, and we are sketching out a scenario where we might not be a 1,000% sure how good anybody is, but if Ohio State Michigan is 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0 2 versus 3 that it's on.
1: I I think that the funny thing is going to be that if if Michigan goes 11 and 1 and loses close to Ohio State, I will have legitimate questions if their schedule can get them in. Like that that's the level that I think that we might be at with with that. And it's not their fault.
0: It's not their fault. Well, it's it is their fault. I mean but- it is their fault. From I guess they were supposed to have a series with UCLA that got dropped, which is where the Hawaii game came in. But still used Hawaii. I mean, UCLA is no better than Hawaii. So. Uh, all right. Let's, I know. let's I relax. relax now. A let's swipe relax Chip now. Kelly. <laughs> but it's not like that wouldn't have been a top 25 one either. So they are responsible for their non-conference. Their division's good. So we'll have to see how good Penn State and Michigan State are. Who'd you have five? I had USC five. So did I. Did you? Who do you have six? I'm
1: Alabama six.
0: Who do you have seven?
1: have oklahoma seven
0: so we agree on usc and bama five and six let's have this conversation we've talked a lot about bama is bama sixth or are we both crazy is that where we are here to have Bama sixth?
1: We we're talking in the moment right now, right? So so I, I have to be clear, right? This is not a top twenty five ranking that we would submit to the AP. This is a ranking of playoff contenders, and my criteria for this is slightly different than what it'll be for my rankings, right? I'd BYU number six in my in that ranking. I had Alabama number four in that ranking, but this is I think more of a. Let's see what you've done. Let's see what you've accomplished so far. I think that that's the most relevant thing that I'm looking at right now. And Alabama hasn't done anything. And by the way, uh, I think that probably something that went very much under the radar this past weekend is that obviously uh, Alabama played Texas far too close and should have lost the game. Their other win against Utah State really took a hit. Do, Do you know what happened to Utah State last week? Did they, I'm guessing they lost? They lost 35-7 to seven against Weber State. Is that where Damian Lillard went? That is where Damian went. Was he Lillard on the went. sideline for that game?
0: That might have been the Lillard <laughs> I don't effect.
1: Think, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so when you lose, when, when your signature win loses 35-7 to seven to an FCS opponent, that doesn't feel great. Uh, and so, you know, what felt like a, a relatively impressive 55-0 win over the reigning Mountain West champs suddenly turned into, oh, you beat a bad team by a lot of points. Maybe that literally didn't mean anything.
0: I think if I'm looking specifically at USC versus Alabama, I feel like I have more questions about Alabama than I do about, about USC right now. So that's why I did that, right? USC, I'm not sure, but man, it's looked pretty good so far. And they got some skill dudes and they filled in enough and they their defense is good enough under Alex Grinch right now. And and. Caleb Williams looks legit, and let's go. So, I don't, I don't think we have to apologize for that. I don't know that anybody else in the country would have Bama sixth in something like this. But again, this is a, this is a tier to me. I have Clemson seven, and I know you had Clemson eleventh last week. They scored again. They, I think they scored on like. Five of their they scored touchdowns on on five of their first six possessions against Furman. You know, they did what they had to do. You don't get any read on that. We're going to have to wait still on Clemson, but at least they moved the ball. At least they put the ball in the end zone against a bad opponent. So I still have Clemson on this tier, which is still for Clemson. A lot of it is based on preseason. I saw I thought. They'll figure out quarterback one way or the other, and I think their defense is really good. I think you've raised legitimate questions about their receivers. No huge receiver numbers this week. Will Shipley was pretty good at running back. So if I have them seventh, where do you have Clemson? I've Clemson ninth. So I think that's mostly a reflection of what we thought in the preseason, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I think that for me, you know, I, I get it like. they scored early and they kind of moved the ball when they needed to, but like 35 to 12 against Furman. Like, no, I know, but I mean, it was like 31 to
0: nothing or whatever. Like it was. And then they, they called off the dog. So like, I get it.
1: It was 28 to nine at, at the halftime, which like is okay. Right. Like Kate clubbing did nothing in this game, which I don't feel amazing about. Right. One for four, negative two yards. I I wish that we had seen him. Like, I, I don't know. and, I, I just them moving the ball doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot to me against Furman and like their defense kind of got the ball moved against him a little bit. Right. Like, I don't know. It just felt like there was a lot of eh, in that game, you know, there there, there was a lot of, I, I wanted, I wanted to see them take their frustration from the Georgia tech game and take it out on their FCS team that they should beat by a lot. And they still have another opportunity to do this because they have Louisiana tech this week who's awful, but I just I just wanted it to feel easier, you know. Well, you have Oklahoma seventh, and it wasn't
0: easy for Oklahoma this week. So, so that like I, I that raised some questions for me about Oklahoma after um, in week one we put Oklahoma into our discussion if they weren't in in the preseason because we thought in week one okay here they are they're good and then they struggled enough that I was like ah I don't know about that so I had Oklahoma eighth at the top of my third tier. You have Oklahoma seventh but is not i mean if we had an F feeling for clemson didn't you have an F feeling from oklahoma
1: yeah no i i most definitely did i most definitely did have an F feeling uh, about oklahoma only only seven rushing yards at the half against kent state on 13 carries uh you know they kind of pulled away in the third and fourth quarter to me i i think it's more instructive a lot of the time to uh when you're kind of judging these these major power five versus uh you know group of five opponents to see what happens in the first half when everybody's got their starters in, when everybody's kind of up and ready. And, you know, because because like I think that by the third and fourth quarter it becomes a battle of attrition when you're playing against a MAC opponent or something like that. And, you know, so Oklahoma didn't score for the first 29 minutes of the game against Kent State, who gave up 45 to Washington a week earlier. I, no, I'm concerned. No, I, I think that, I think for me, probably the biggest issue is I probably felt too obligated to punish Utah and Baylor for losing really close games. I think that I probably would have, I, I think honestly, in hindsight, I probably should have Utah and Baylor ahead of both these teams and probably Oklahoma 10 and, and Clemson 9. So
0: I do think maybe my tier had one two team too many in it. To me, I think we agree, George, at the top tier. Then the second tier, Ohio State, Michigan, BYU, USC, Alabama. Those five teams. And then I think maybe the bottom tier – Is is Clemson, Oklahoma, Utah, Baylor. So I had Clemson seven, Oklahoma eight, Utah nine, Baylor ten. You have Oklahoma seven, seven. Who do you have eight? I have Utah eight. Utah eight, Clemson nine, Baylor ten. So it's one of these things. Listen, man, you got to win. And, and like the Utah, listen, I agree with you, right? Utah on the road in the swamp in week one. It's tough, whatever. And then Florida can't be Kentucky. It's like, it's not like Florida is like, oh, watch out for Florida. They're fine. They'll be good some weeks, not as good as they are. Kentucky is very
1: good. Let's, let's, let's be clear.
0: It affects minorly the view of Utah. It's not like, oh man. Watch out for Florida. It's like Florida is who we thought they were, which is good, but not a finished product. Anthony Richardson was in the Heisman race for a week and then wasn't that good against Kentucky. I get it. I'm not, but that's why, you know, I'm not in a hurry to have Utah ahead of anybody that's still undefeated because their loss is like, okay. And then Baylor had holes. Right. I mean, Baylor, that game was a little bit there for the taking. It's one of those things. If you give BYU credit for the win, you can't ding Baylor all that hard for the loss. But there were some things with the quarterback play and the skill guys from Baylor that it's like eh, that might hold them back in some other games going forward, which is why we both have Baylor 10th.
1: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I, I think that, you know, Baylor did enough to deserve to still be in the discussion, but they have to kind of prove that they can actually be a member of the discussion heading forward. You know, that's gonna be a big thing for them. What what uh Utah beating Southern Utah 73 to 7 didn't didn't do anything for you? Uh Cam rising uh 254 yards against an FCS opponent, isn't that exciting? No, I I, I,
0: was like oh my god that was good. Uh it it is (laughs) but it is one of these again, as much as that's our third tier, the idea of adding Kentucky or Michigan State to that tier right now is like, what? No, like not even close. So like that's where we are that these are our 10 teams. I feel good about all these 10 teams. I think paths remain for all 10 of them. Teams are going to lose. We get it. Kudos to everybody who plays a tough schedule early in the year. But we're in basic agreement here. And again, I don't know that there's many people who would have Baylor, excuse me, BYU ahead of Alabama, but we both do. Shahan, Georgia won. I also have Georgia 1. We both have Ohio State 2. Shahan has BYU 3. I have BYU 4. Shahan has Michigan 4. I have Michigan 3. We both have USC 5. We both have Alabama 6. Shahan has Oklahoma 7. I have Oklahoma 8. Shahan has Utah 8. I have Utah 9. Shahan has Clemson 9. I have Clemson 7. And we both have Baylor 10. So we are both on the same playing here, thinking about how this works out. This week will tell us a little bit. We'll get to see Miami against Texas A&M, Michigan State against Washington. Those Both those games will matter in the should they get in conversation. I don't know that we're going to learn a ton about anybody who's already in, right? We're going to have to wait probably one more week for that for conference play to start where you're going to see some tests, Ohio State versus Wisconsin, Georgia versus South Carolina, some things like that. It'll get a little more interesting at least. For now, that's our rankings. That's who's in, that's who's out. We're down to 10. Only 10 teams worth talking about in a playoff discussion like this. Try the Apple Podcast Show for $2.99 a month if you guys haven't done that. At the very least, follow us on Twitter. If you've listened this far, follow us on Twitter so you can vote in the poll. CFB Survivor Show. You get a vote on who we talk about, who we kick out and don't talk about anybody more. We want your votes. We want your opinions. For Shahanjay Raja. I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.